Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello there. So delighted to see you return to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we have a curious item. If you'll take a look over here in the display case, uh, we have a selection of items from antiquity, and this one in particular over here. Uh, this may look like a scarab used in many ancient cultures. It's made of an indetermined metal, and I would let you hold it, but, but if this artifact were to find you suitable, you may have a harder time letting go than you wish. And therein lies the essence of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the new DC film, Blue Beetle. So... Blue Beetle is the latest in the DCU. Uh, James Gunn has taken over DC. He's kind of, you know, they brought him on to be the Kevin Feige of DC because DC has been in kind of an upheaval for, for some time. And a lot of movies have come out to varying degrees of acceptance and varying degrees of critique. Especially once they got past kind of like, you know, the, the Dark Knight trilogy, the Christian Bale Batman was kind of his own thing. Uh, and, and it wasn't until after that that they really started to try to tie in all the DC superheroes and make a DC cinematic universe, much like Marvel has done, where you have uh, the Justice League movies, you have all these crossovers of all these, these main superheroes, which is smart. It's a smart thing for DC to do, but there was just they did it to varying degrees of effect and it was kind of a shit show for DC for quite some time so they brought in James Gunn to write the ship for DC and kind of have a singular vision like I said much like Kevin Feige is in keeping DC on track as far as all of the crossovers and all of the superheroes that are going to be featured and the types of movies that are coming out and we've you know, as a result, we've seen a lot of beloved characters and actors playing these characters kind of tossed by the wayside. Henry Cavill, probably chief among them, uh, no longer going to be Superman. Uh, you know, that's the way the ball bounces when it comes to, to acting in franchises like that, especially when uh, new people take over. Gal Gadot is possibly going to be tossed to the wayside i don't know it's it's kind of up in the air right now i hope not because i really like gal gadot as wonder woman and would love to see her stick on and and blue beetle is one of those characters that this movie was produced before james gunn took over so it very easily could have been like hey you know what we're gonna put this movie out but it's not gonna be canon to the DCU. James Gunn has not done that. They are going to actually use the Blue Beetle 
uh, as a crossover. And and to their credit, the filmmakers for Blue Beetle decided, you know, they made a lot of DC references. There's a, a Batman reference, Superman reference, the Flash reference, a lot of other DC-centric references throughout this, but none of them are specific and there are no cameos. So it could be any version of Superman. Uh, they just mentioned Superman. Same with Batman, same with the Flash. So uh, it was smart of them not to try to shoehorn in a a cameo from from somebody that may not play that character anymore uh which i think made it a lot easier for james gunn to say okay this may not have been a character that i was going to tackle running dc but since we've got it and we can kind of fit it in uh we'll use them to cameo from time to time whether we'll see a blue beetle too i don't know but this character is for now, it's canon to DC, or at least the DCU when it comes to films. Now, I like I said, I don't know if this is a character that James Gunn would have done a movie for. Because, to be quite honest, I know of Blue Beetle. I know a little bit about the character. Uh, I never read the comics. I do, I think probably my first experience of seeing Blue Beetle as a character was in Smallville. And then they, they had that really short-lived Blue Beetle TV series back in that. was I mean, it was on the heels of Smallville, so probably in the early 2000s, somewhere around there. I can't remember exactly when that came out, but uh, a TV series that the, the technology hadn't been perfected as far as CG characters and CG suits. So yeah, it was short-lived because it sucked. At least the look of it sucked. So when I knew they were going to do a Blue Beetle movie, I, I just didn't know if I cared. I think the only reason that me, the only reason I wanted to see this movie was one, I was seeing some decent reviews, some early reviews where people were talking about it being, you know, the Rotten Tomatoes. It, it was like one of the highest Rotten Tomatoes scores for a superhero movie since James Gunn's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I thought, okay, you know, people are liking this. They're watching it. Uh, that still wasn't enough to push me over the edge. But I think the thing that really made me want to watch this movie was the fact that Sholo Merdwenya, who plays the Miguel character in Cobra Kai, I really love him in that show. And I really love that show. I love Cobra Kai. And I think Sholo Merdwenya does a really good job with the Miguel character. And I wanted to see how he would do with the lead in a movie. So uh, that probably, above anything, was probably the deciding factor to make me say, okay, I'm going to go watch that movie this weekend, and I'm going to talk about it on the show. Good, bad, or indifferent, I'm going to talk about the movie because, uh, if anything, I'm expecting a good performance out of Sholo Merdwenya, and there's a, a really good cast in this movie, just from what I saw in the trailer, you know, George Lopez is always funny. Uh, so I, I was expecting a good movie as far as the acting goes. And just judging by the trailer, you could see that the, the CG wasn't horrible. So I thought, at the very least, this is going to be an okay movie. So I went and watched it. And that's, you know, before we get into spoilers, uh, I will say that, yeah, it's, it's a pretty good movie. It's not a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination. Like I said, the the acting was really good. Although this is a movie that 
it's focusing on family. That is the main point about, you know, things and homes and things are all just things. Family is what's important. It's your love of family. That, that's where you get your strength. It's not a weakness. That is where you get your strength. Uh, most literally, they say that in this movie. Uh, I, I don't think that's a huge spoiler. But uh, I think they focused a little too much on the family. Uh, and we'll get into the, the nitty gritty of that. Although I'm not going to expand too terribly much on that but they focused a little too much on the family uh there was some comedy that came off as a little hokey and george lopez in some scenes is hilarious in other scenes it's just like okay let's let's dial the comedy back a little bit we don't have to be all jokes and jokes and jokes and while there was a little too much with the family there were some family scenes that were just heart-wrenching, heartwarming, really added a, a good dramatic effect. It made you care about these people uh, as much as, like I said, it, it got a little old after a while and just a little too much. All of the actors, all the characters really, you were endeared to them because the portrayals were good. The characters were written well. You cared about the, this family and you cared about these characters. So where, you know, maybe the family stuff got a little much, the parts that did work worked really well. And that was the the family unit, the love of these family, these characters one to another. And you had like, uh, as far as the villains go, you had one really good villain, one really uh, lukewarm villain. Uh, I thought the Carpax character was was really good. And we'll get into details on that. I thought the Victoria Cord, played by Susan Sarandon character, was not a good villain. Uh, Susan Sarandon is an excellent actress, she just didn't elicit any menace whatsoever. As cold as she was acting in, in some scenes, I just never really felt any real menace out of this character as a villain. But ultimately, the action was interesting. The story was interesting. Uh, they didn't really delve too much into the lore of the, the scarab that makes the Blue Beetle the Blue Beetle. I don't know how much more I wanted, but it, it would have been a little more interesting because there were some things that... Uh, you know, if you know the comics, like I know just enough about the comics to be dangerous just because I researched the comics and these characters before doing this podcast episode. But if I didn't know some of the things behind the Scarab from from that, from researching the comics, uh, I'd be like, why is it this way? Why is the Scarab considered this? And it doesn't feel like that at all. So I wish there was a little more lore involved. And I also wish this movie was a little shorter. I mean, this was two hours and eight minutes, two hours and seven minutes, something like that. And it just, it felt every bit of that and more at points. Uh, there was there was one point in the movie where I'm like, oh my God, is this over yet? It's Jesus, are we even getting to the climax? Uh, I really wish they would have knocked off like 10, 15 minutes on this movie. And, and I think you could have alleviated that. But ultimately, like I said, I think this movie is, is a decent movie. It's not horrible. Uh, it's not great. It's not as great as some people were making out to be, but it's not bad at all. I think it's it's a good, fun movie. It's something you can take the kids to. And, you know, if, if you like superhero movies, uh, you're not going to see anything that you haven't seen before. You're not going to see stories that haven't seen before because this really pulls from a lot of different stories it feels uh visually it pulls from a lot of different stories and we'll talk about that in the more spoilery section but it's not a bad movie so go catch it if you get a chance uh blue beetle if you haven't watched it 
do that. Come back and listen to my spoilery section. And if you have watched it or you don't care about spoilers, uh, we're going to press on. But from here on out, there are going to be spoilers. So uh, you've been warned. So I'm not going to go into too terribly much detail. We're not going to go into each and every character. I am going to talk about a couple of the primary characters and what I liked and didn't like about their story. But uh, there's just a lot of characters with the Reyes family that... uh, I just think it was a little much. You just didn't have to make the whole family a part of the whole movie the whole time. And I I get it. You're trying to put forth a message about family and the importance of family. And I I understand that. But it just felt a little much. It felt a little silly. And it didn't help the movie at all. I mean, it gave you some, some good, cheesy comedy moments. But I didn't need that. You could have cut some of that shit out and made this movie not feel so freaking long. But the basic premise of this story is that this character, Jaime Reyes, finds this blue scarab. And this scarab attaches itself to him and he becomes the blue beetle. Uh, That's about as simple as you can boil this down to. Now, if you're a fan of the blue beetle comics, there are a line of blue beetles. Of course, the first one was Dan Garrett. That was the Blue Beetle from back in like the golden age of comics in like the 30s. I believe it came out in, I can't remember if it's 36 or 39. Yeah, maybe it was 39 uh, that the Blue Beetle came out. Dan Garrett was the, the original Blue Beetle in that golden age of comics. And then come along, and I can't remember if it was the 70s or the 80s, but you had the Ted Cord version of Blue Beetle because uh, Dan Garrett was a... Kind of a professor to the Ted Cord character, and Ted Cord was a part of the Blue Beetle comics and the Blue Beetle story before he actually became the Blue Beetle. And I think that's kind of where they introduced the scarab aspect of this. I think uh, Dan Garrett before. When, when he became Blue Beetle, it has something to do with vitamins or something like that. Then I think the Scarab was introduced later and a part of the Ted Cord storyline. And then, of course, Jaime Reyes became the, the next Blue Beetle in the... Like the early 2010s, 2010, 2011, I believe that's when it came. Not 100% certain if my memory is serving me right on that but uh, but that's where they're doing this blue beetle they're doing the Jaime Reyes character and changing it up a little bit in the comics he's from El Paso Texas in this movie he's from a place called Palmera City in Florida but one of the things I thought was really cool is the fact that they did reference uh, both Dan Garrett and Ted Cord throughout this because in the opening credits was a really interesting information dump if you if you were paying attention and if you weren't paying attention you missed a lot because you had references to the dan garrett character and the scarab uh during the opening credits you have uh, a representation of the blue scarab coming to earth and that's kind of uh, a bit of the lore that you don't get in the movie that i really wish they would have included because the scarab it, it all has to do with this these people to reach 
and the Reach and fighting the Green Lantern Corps. And they have their... It's kind of almost like there's a, a different version of the Green Lantern Corps, how there's different Green Lantern... There's different Lantern rings. Uh, you have the Green Lantern, but then you have the yellow and all the, the various colors of Lantern rings. Uh, that's the same with these scarabs. There are different color scarabs. But we see the blue scarab flying through space and, and hitting different planets or something like that. And... And it's broken. And they mention this in the movie, how this blue scarab is a world-ending weapon. And they never really pay that off by telling you why this is a, a world-ending weapon. And, and it boils down to the um, lore behind it in the comics. The Reach sends these scarabs out to planets. These scarabs find a host to latch onto, kind of like how this scarab finds... Jaime Reyes. The Scarab gives its host all these superpowers and it makes it seem like it's a good thing until the Scarab completely takes over and destroys the planet with these, these powers, these superpowers. Now it's kind of alluded that, you know, when, when traveling through space and it's kind of broken to a degree, that it no longer allows the Reach to use its control over the, the Scarab and over the, the human host. And you do get a lot of that in the comics where you've got Jaime Reyes at odds, pitting his will against the will of the Scarab. And the Scarab doing things that Jaime Reyes doesn't want it to do. And they get a little bit of that early on, but then they they kind of mesh together to become a, a symbiotic unit. It, it kind of felt very much like like Venom, like the Eddie Brock character and the Venom symbiote, especially in the Marvel version of Venom. But I think that's probably one of the things I, I didn't I didn't like about this because this Blue Beetle character, the way they have him on this just felt very much like a, it felt like a version of Peter Parker. It felt like the suit was dollar store Stark tech. Now in the comics and in this movie, it is some sort of alien technology, but it's just, it all felt like a ripoff. The suit very much felt like a ripoff of the Spider-Man Iron Spider suit. It just felt very derivative of a lot of Marvel stuff. And, and that's... That's different, you know, that's that's one thing because this character came out at the, the dawn of comics, that golden age there in the 30s. And this is an old character, but this version of the character, the suit, that this version of the character is something that came out in the 2000s. And, you know, it, it's something that they, I, I don't know if the writers of the comics uh, had some inspiration from some of the things Marvel had done beforehand or, or not. But it just, like I said, very felt very much like a knockoff of, of some of those Marvel things. Venom, uh, Iron Man, the Iron Spider, Spider-Man. Even in the comics, the Jaime Reyes character is a lot younger than Sholo Maraduena. In this, he's in his early 20s. And in the comics, he's still a teenager. So they're, again, very much like Peter Parker. When Peter Parker becomes Spider-Man, he's a teenager. And one of the things I really did like about this character felt very derivative of Spider-Man because uh, Sholo Maraduena, as Jaime Reyes, you know, when he's fighting, he's, he's got all these quick quips and little smart remarks and stuff like that. And it felt very much like 
like Spider-Man uh, when he's fighting bad guys in the comics. And, and we get that to varying degrees in the different uh, Spider-Man adaptations that we've had over the years. But there again, just felt like I've seen this before, much like everything else about the Blue Beetle. The saving grace for this character was the fact that uh, Sholo Meriduena does a really good job with it. I really loved his performance. You know, he played that kid who, or young man, I should say, he's not a kid, he's a young man in his 20s, but he plays that young man who just loves his parents and loves his family, and he went off to college. I, I love the fact that he went off to law school, he's in pre-law, and uh, we see where he goes to school because he's wearing a Gotham Law uh, sweatshirt, so you know he went to Gotham to study law, but he's come back and he just wants to do right by his family. He wants to provide for his family and just uh, his family's on hard times and, you know, they do play into the racial aspect of it because he's having a hard time finding a job and things like that. And, and you know, it's implied that it's due to the color of his skin. So you, you empathize with this character and you empathize with the helplessness, a character like this who's who's gone off, he's gone to college he just you know he's got all these great dreams of making tons of money and just giving his family the life that he feels they deserve and he can't do that so you feel that helplessness of this character and then when he gets this blue beetle suit it could have gone i mean blue beetle it's not a dark comic i don't think just from some of the things i've seen some of the uh some of the stories i've read about it's not a dark comic but it has some darker aspects like i said uh the blue beetle scarab uh, having a will of its own and sometimes it's at odds with Jaime Reyes's will and sometimes people get hurt because of that uh, it, it had an opportunity to go darker in some areas but instead they went lighter they went more comedy and tried to make this a little more family friendly but that scene where he first turns into the blue beetle I mean that scene looked horrific and and it could have been and should have been but then they made it funny with George Lopez screaming a very high-pitched scream and all the family and then a funny soundtrack and it, it could have been a lot darker and a lot more foreboding and I just think they took a lot of this movie that could have gone darker and and i'm not saying dark and gritty as in you know how dc movies have been portrayed and described as over the years but it, it could have been a little darker a little a little more like i said i have a little more menace to it uh make this blue beetle seem like it's maybe not as much of a blessing as it's coming across as but they opted against that and in spite of the, the pain and agony he's going through, uh, turning into the Blue Beetle, Jaime Reyes' family is screaming and, and putting on a show, and it's all fun and games. And I think Sholo Meriduena did a really good job with the humor in this character, um, and, the, and the rest of the family did a really good job with the humor. Uh, Belissa Escobedo plays Jaime's younger sister, Milagro. She does a really good job. That has a lot of really uh, funny moments. Uh, the actress that plays the grandmother had some moments, although uh, some of those moments are kind of cheesy where she's got the big gun and uh, the mother says something about it, asking her about her days as a revolutionary. That was a little hokey. Uh, again, the mother did a really good job, the actress who plays. Uh, the one actor that I liked and I wanted to see more of the family uh, that they gave a very Uncle Ben storyline to is Damien Alcazar, plays Alberto. 
Humberto Reyes, uh, the father of Jaime. And, you know, he had some really good lines and just such a loving father. And the father-son relationship was really interesting to watch. And then, of course, no good superhero, uh, be it DC or Marvel, uh, is complete without some sort of tragedy involving a family member, whether it's Bruce Wayne and his parents, whether it is Superman and Jonathan Kent, whether it is Peter Parker and Uncle Ben. Uh, Blue Beetle has his Uncle Ben. Now, that's in this movie. If I'm not mistaken, the father didn't die in the comics. But in this, they gave Jaime Reyes his Uncle Ben moment where his father dies. And and my God, it, it was heartbreaking. And it just was a, a tough scene to watch. I, I, I didn't cry. I didn't cry. Who said I cried? No, seriously though. Uh, it, but the you could feel the the waterworks, the tears starting to well up. Uh, and then I gained my composure, and I didn't cry. No matter what anybody said, I didn't cry. But at any rate, I'm just kidding. Uh, but no, there, there was some really heartfelt drama and some dramatic moments that just like I said heartwarming and heart-wrenching and that was one of the heart-wrenching scenes the pain and anguish played by Sholo Maraduena did or it was was fantastic and probably made that scene as heart-wrenching as it was because of his reaction to to sitting there helplessly watching his father die another character I thought was really interesting Jenny Cord she's the daughter of Ted Cord uh, played by Bruno Marquezine and I, this is a character made up for this movie it's not a character from the comics but I really liked her whole story about Ted Cord going missing and presumed dead and her aunt taking the company over and her fighting for this company to to do benevolent things but uh, but the aunt trying to make weapons of mass destruction sort of situation the budding romance between her and Jaime Reyes but she really did feel like a, a plot device just to, to move things forward she's the one that does the information dump about the Blue Beetle Scarab she's the one that introduces the Reyes family to the Blue Beetle lair and all the Blue Beetle tech some jokes about about it being uh, not as good as Batman stuff. And that is actually kind of from the comics. The Ted Cord Blue Beetle is very much Bruce Wayne, billionaire who makes lots of toys. His just toys don't always work as good as Bruce Wayne stuff. And everyone makes fun of him for it. And in the comics, apparently he's got a good sense of humor about it. But yeah, she, she just really kind of is there to introduce more aspects of the Blue Beetle that her father was. Uh, that's not to say she didn't do a good job with the character, in spite of it just being a character that's there to propel the story forward with uh, varying bits of information. I still liked her performance. It was still a, a, a touching performance in her want to do her father's legacy right and do the company right by her father's name and and, and not being able to do that because of the evil sister victoria cord uh, ted cord's evil sister and that that is from the comics even though she's not as big of a thing uh speaking of victoria cord again I, I mentioned this earlier susan sarandon did a fine job she plays the the cold corporate businesswoman i just didn't feel any menace from this character and i just didn't really feel like the ends justified the means i didn't feel like where she was going was not that it wasn't evil because she is essentially and very much like the robocop storyline she wants to make an army of these jackbooted thugs these uh, you know alien tech clad uh, one man armies 
And so, you know, she can, you know, in the name of protecting the peace and protecting the public, but you know, she was going to do it for nefarious, you know, use it for nefarious reasons or allow it to be used for nefarious reasons. Very much like OCP coming out with the Ed 209 robots and Robocop. But I mean, you knew she was trying to create these one man army soldiers but you didn't really know to what end. And I think I would have liked to have known to what end. I mean, they suppose and they allude to, but it's never really stated. And it just kind of, like I said, this, there wasn't a lot of menace there with this character. Now, the one character I didn't really find interesting was the uh, Carpax character played by Raul Max Trujillo, who I really thought this was an interesting character because... Uh, you, you saw a little bit of backstory with him. He was always carrying around this locket with a, a child and a, a mother. And you didn't know what. And then they reveal it later as to what his backstory is. And he starts out as a bad guy, but has kind of a, a, a face turn, if you will. And realizes that he's on the wrong side. It's just a very interesting interesting character, interesting story. I almost wish would have got a little more of that and a little less of the family. And it made his character probably one of the more complex character in a movie that just didn't have a lot of complexity to any of the characters. A couple more brief characters we're going to talk about. Uh, Harvey Gann uh, plays Dr. Sanchez. Uh, this was a character that was just underutilized because Harvey Gann was a fan. He's fantastically funny. They just didn't do a lot with him. But I, I loved how he kind of had a face turn as well because... Uh, Susan Sarandon's Victoria Cord keeps calling him Dr. Sanchez and his his name is not Sanchez. <laughs> and and you know it's it's plays into a lot of racist themes there. And, and and I just think this character, I wish we could have seen a little more from him because the character was very funny and Harvey Gann's uh, performance was was very funny. Speaking of funny performances, George Lopez, last character I'm going to talk about, plays Uncle Rudy, kind of this conspiracy theory, uh, who is kind of a uh, a tech wizard on the side. I, I This is the one character I had so many problems with, but I liked because George Lopez is hilarious. Uh, and he has a lot of really funny scenes. But then there are some scenes where the humor, it's just like, okay, this is a little much. They needed to dial back. Not him so much, but the the script needed to dial back the humor. You didn't have to have him being, you know, crazy funny all the time. And then there were some moments where, like, he is this closet uh, tech wizard making machines that can black out security systems and play you know, stop-motion animation uh, Hispanic uh, children shows. It's just, if this family's in such poverty and he's such a great inventor and such a great tech wizard, why isn't he getting out there getting a job and fucking making some money to help this family out? I, I didn't get that. And then, of course, when Jenny Cord introduces the family to all this Cord tech stuff, uh, they have the big uh, beetle uh, ship that they fly around. It's like he knows exactly every switch to flip, every button to push to get this thing up and running. I'm like, how would he know that? There was a lot of things that just didn't make a lot of sense with this character. They gave him knowledge that if he knew how that worked, that's fine. But there's no reason for him to know how it worked. And it just felt, like I said, a little silly, a little corny, a little hokey. And it took a little more suspension of disbelief than I think I have in my body. 
But ultimately, this movie plays out exactly like you you expect it to. There's no big surprises in this. Instead of the family in peril and Blue Beetle going to save them, Blue Beetle's captured and the family that goes to save him. Uh, I don't think, I mean, that's, I guess that's something different, but it wasn't different enough or interesting enough because I just felt it was kind of cheesy having this family all uh, decked out in cord tech and going to to save him uh a lot of it's based on 90s things like the the sister has uh this weapon made from an nes power glove and it was just moments like that that felt kind of silly now when it came to the action the fights between blue beetle and carpax were really good they were really cool uh for the most part the cg was pretty good i i really liked uh, the CG for the most part. There were there were a few scenes where it was like, oh, that's that's obviously some CG work right there. But it didn't take me out of it. I liked the design of the Blue Beetle suit, and for the most part, they had uh, Sholo Maradona in a a practical blue beetle suit i remember reading something about him talking about getting up at like three in the morning to get to set so they could spend god knows how long uh getting him inside of this suit who getting up at three in the morning i have a hard enough time getting up at 6 30 in the morning to get ready for work i i don't know how uh, some of these actors do it but God bless him, and it looked really good. So it was all worth it, I think, uh, because the the suit looked really sharp. And then, like I said, the CG enhancements of the suit and the the CG version of the character in some of these fight scenes, uh, I thought was was pretty good. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the best CG I've ever seen, but it certainly wasn't the worst. I thought the CG was pretty good for the most part. And the big climax, the big showdown between Carpax and and Blue Beetle, I thought was a good one. Uh, you know, it's it's a fight we've seen before, uh, but we, we saw it again and it felt, you know, a little more stakes this time because we've got, you know, the Blue Beetle, uh, Jaime Reyes, the Blue Beetle suit kind of becoming becoming a symbiotic relationship where they're both kind of on the same wavelength. So he's kind of at his full power. And like I said, you've got that great reveal where Blue Beetle has him down and ready to kill him. But the Blue Beetle, the sentient presence of this scarab, repeats something that he told the scarab earlier that we don't kill people and shows him that he's not just some bad guy. He has a backstory. There's a reason why he became the person he is. The person that told him that his love of his family was a weakness. Then, of course, he sees what this guy went through and shows him why, you know, his love of his family gave him power. And the little bit of a face turn you get with the Carapax and and the fact that he sacrifices himself to destroy Victoria Cord and it, it was a neat ending to the movie. Um, like I said, nothing we haven't seen before, but this movie was a lot of nothing that we haven't ever seen before. And then, of course, you get that cool mid credit scene where the camera goes into the Blue Beetle lair. Nobody's there. It's just the lair. Uh, you've got air supply. Uh, a lot of loves playing. And then all of a sudden, the staticky uh, message comes across about, tell my daughter I'm still alive. Uh, it was it's Ted Cord, so I gotta imagine the next movie, if there is another movie, that the Ted Cord character is gonna come back, and we're gonna get a couple of Blue Beetles. Who's gonna be playing that character? I don't know, but but it's another interesting little tidbit, uh, a little 
not an Easter egg, but a little more tie-in to the other Blue Beetle character. And then there was that, that PS scene at the very end of the credits, that end credit scene, where it's just kind of an extended showing of that little stop-motion animation uh, Hispanic character. I can't remember the name of the character right offhand, but it's got the heart and the CH on his chest. And it's just more of that. It's, it's silly. And then I think there is a... A bit of a sound effect in hearing George Lopez saying something about, oh, that's sexy, after he's kicking some machine to get it to work. Probably the machine from earlier. But ultimately, like I said, I, I thought this was a pretty good movie. It wasn't bad. Um, I, I thought you had a really good cast, uh, led by Sholo Maraduena, who I thought really carried this movie. Uh, I really wish they would have focused on him a little more than the rest of the family, uh, because I think he was up to the task of of shouldering this movie all by himself. But unfortunately, he kind of had to share the the screen with George Lopez and the rest of the family. Now, granted, uh, a little bit at the beginning, maybe a little bit at the end would have been nice, but I, I just wish they would have had more of the Blue Beetle in the Blue Beetle movie. Uh, more of Sholo Maraduena, because I thought he did a really good job with this character. He made, he made this character... Kind of like how he does the Miguel character in Cobra Kai. So likable. You can't help but root for this kid. And you can't help but like this kid. And it's that quality that, that makes you endear yourself towards a character and towards a superhero. And, and want to see more of them. And and I did want to see more of him. But uh, they just they, they insisted on pushing the family's the most important thing story and in pushing that they push the family onto the screen more than i think was really necessary and more than i think the movie really needed and a more sinister villain i, I you know susan sarandon's a, an award-winning actress i just don't think she was the right person for this uh, you know I, the only thing i can think of as a comparison is you had sigourney weaver playing a bad guy in some of the Netflix Marvel TV series, Daredevil, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, stuff like that, Jessica Jones. Uh, I think she's the kind of actress that could have brought the menace and the sinisterness that that I think this role called for. And I really dug the fact that they didn't do this exactly like the comics. They didn't have the character being exactly from where the character is in the comics, uh, but they paid enough homage to all of that. Like, you know, Jaime Reyes is from El Paso, Texas, but he lives on El Paso Street in this. So there's a lot of Easter eggs to that. There's a lot of Easter eggs to the Ted Cord Blue Beetle. There's a lot of Easter eggs, especially in the beginning uh, opening credits of the Dan Garrett uh, Blue Beetle, and and I'm expecting that we're going to get a lot more of that in the future if there is another Blue Beetle movie. Now, unfortunately, from what I'm seeing, uh, the Blue Beetle uh, movie is not doing well in the box offices. So we'll see where things go. I, I think it's probably one of those situations where they thought, okay, this is from the old regime and James Gunn has taken over. So uh, I'm going to go watch this and then they're not going to make it canon anyway. So why bother? 
but that's not the case. Uh, they're actually going to use the Blue Beetle in stuff going forward with the James Gunn run DCU. He's not going to be in the new Superman movie, but he's going to be in some other things. And I hope if they do another Blue Beetle movie, they kind of back off because it felt very much like the Blue Beetle suit just felt very Stark Tech. It felt very Iron Spider. Even when you have that, that POV shot from inside the suit, it felt very much like Jarvis from Iron Man. There was just so much of this movie that felt derivative of Marvel movies that I, I wanted this to be its own thing. And it I, I don't know how you do that, but I really wish they could have found a way to to not make this so much like Iron Man, Spider-Man, all these other Marvel movies and and make it its, its own thing. I think that would have made me like this more. Not that I hated it, uh, but I didn't love it. If it would have been its own thing and I didn't spend half the time thinking, oh, that's from Marvel. Oh, that's like that from Marvel. Oh, that relationship between... That's kind of like this other thing from Marvel. If I didn't have to spend most of my time doing that, I, I probably could have enjoyed the movie a little more than I did. But ultimately, like I said, it was an okay movie. Wasn't great, didn't love it, but didn't hate it either. And if it wasn't for trying to get this podcast out in a timely fashion and needing to go watch it in the movie theater, I probably would have been fine watching this when it came out on Max because Max is getting all the DC stuff. But if you like a good superhero movie that you can take the family to, take the kids to, if the kids like Blue Beetle or, or you know, they, they like all the, the superhero stuff, they'll enjoy it. I think kids are going to love it. Parents, it's not anything horrible. So I, I think you'll get enough enjoyment out of it. There's enough humor in it to get some laughs. Uh, there's enough dramatic moments to to maybe get a little tear started up. And there's enough action to, to keep you engaged for the most part. It does get a little long there in that second act. But it's not a horrible movie. So go check it out and see what you think. Don't take my word for it. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on the new movie Blue Beetle out in theaters right now. You can find out more about what's going on with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our Facebook page and on Instagram. Always posting uh, trailers and articles and add my two cents, posting memes and holidays and all that jazz on our social media platforms. So uh, do check that out. No matter where you listen to this podcast, subscribe to it, like it, uh, follow it, whatever your particular podcast platform of choice happens to call us do that that way you can stay on top of all the new episodes that come out and share this podcast with anyone that you know that loves horror fantasy and science fiction and no matter what you do please leave those reviews those are very important in getting the word out about this podcast and showing these platforms hey people are listening to this we need to expose new people to it so leave those reviews five stars would be awesome but whatever review you leave we appreciate that more than you'll ever know so until next time Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!